Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to a View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and Brad Hallier joins me. And Brad, it's that great crossover time of the year. We're, we're going to talk a lot about state football playoffs. Basketball is rolling. We'll have high school basketball coming up here in, in about a week. It's, it's, that, uh, it's that time of year I love. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I I love Thanksgiving week, man. Not only do you get the state championship football games, but you get all the great stuff on Thanksgiving Day, and it's um, it, it's it, it's a great week. And of course, you know, for me with the World Cup going on, I, it's even a better week for me. Yeah, except some of those uh, teams that play at three and four in the morning probably mess with yeah. your schedule a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if it's like Croatia against you know Cameroon or something, I, okay, I might be able to skip that one, but. Man, Argentina plays at 4 a.m. I, you know, I, I love watching Argentina. It's like I'm really caught between a rock and a hard place with that one. Yeah, well, I guess uh, set your alarm a little early. and <laughs> uh, Get the coffee get, going. Get the coffee going. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into state championship Saturday here in high school. We'll take a look at all the classes. We'll start at the top and work our way down. So it's 6A, Gardner Edgerton at 9 and 3 will take on undefeated Manhattan they're 12 and 0 Gardner Edgerton just blasted Olathe Northwest 56 to 7 Manhattan for the second time this year they were both close but they beat a derby team 28 to 23 that derby played without their starting quarterback broke his leg in the semifinal match but derby led this game late they put up quite a fight but Manhattan they just kind of feel you get a feel for some teams, and it just feels like Manhattan is destined in 6A to win the title. Yeah, I kind of stopped uh, doubting Manhattan in Week 8 when they put a just a, a dominating performance over Wichita Northwest and then beat them again in the playoffs in a much closer game. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Manhattan, ever since that first game when they beat Derby, has uh, kind of established themselves as the favorite and uh, entering the playoffs after that went over Northwest definitely didn't lose anything on that. So I like to see the Indians go out and get themselves a state title this weekend. Yeah, I, I, I can vouch for how good those wins were because I saw both Derby and uh, Northwest this season. Those are two fantastic teams with fantastic running games. So you knocked them off, you have done something. So uh, Derby, now we'll see if the uh, latest rumor is Dylan Edwards is going to be a Jayhawk. You think he, he's, he's decommitted now from K-State and Notre Dame. You think he actually shows up in Lawrence? Well, I mean, the rumor that I heard was that, you know, Notre Dame uh, ended up signing uh, like a five-star running back. And, you know, uh, obviously he burned his bridge with Manhattan. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, you, you look at what KU's got. Uh, they've got, you know, a lot of promise and uh, the opportunity, I think, to, to be a part of something pretty special. Uh, we'll see if uh, I think maybe he'll, he'll hold Pat and end up as a Jayhawk. Well, in Class 5A, I think we got the best two teams in 5A going to battle it out. 12-0 Mays. And 11 and 1 Mill Valley. Mill Valley, goodness, 63 to nothing over Blue Valley Southwest. And Mays took care of Hayes, 42 to 9. This is another team, Brad. I got to see Mays and Derby. What a fantastic ball game. One of the best I've ever seen. Avery Johnson, he's the real deal, but he is going to have to show up and be the real deal one more time to get past a really good Mill Valley team. First of all, I just also want to say what what an incredible job that Hutchinson did against uh, uh, Mays the week before to hold that offense to 21 points. And then they go out and just put up, you know, 
week after week, they're putting up 40-some points. I still think the, the fewest that they – yeah, the fewest that they scored other than that was 41 against Touch. So then they – and the playoffs was 21. And then they just go up and put 42 again, uh, up on a good Hayes team. But, yeah, they're going to have to be uh, – Avery Johnson and Mays are going to be pretty special against Mill Valley. Their only loss was 20-16 to 16 to uh, a very good Olathe North team. And since that, they've given up three points since that loss to Olathe North. And that came in a 63-3 to three win over Shawnee Mission East. So, uh, Mill Valley's uh, – they're, they're kind of the ones that are ruling 5A right now. I, I think it's a pick. I think it's a toss-up. I think it is, too. That'll be a interesting game when we see the finals – come in on that ball game class 4a undefeated Wamigo. they are 12 and 0 after defeating mcpherson 33 to 16 and they'll play bishop mies stags 10 and 2 after knocking off st thomas aquinas 38 28 first boy Wamigo brad in uh, mcpherson boy I tell you what mac cannot get out of those semifinals as hard as they try. That just seems to be a roadblock there. Again, no no disgrace, obviously, losing to a, a Wamigo team that's undefeated. But, boy, that's a – Max got to figure out some way to get over that hurdle one of these years. Yeah, you, you think that one of these years are just going to kick that door in. But at the same time, Scott, you know as well as I do, you only get a certain amount of chances before they start drying up on you. So, I, I, I you know, we, we, we've been around Mac long enough uh, – I'd like to see them finally kick that door and, and, and play for a state football championship. But, uh, you know, Wamigo certainly proved their worth. Uh, they're, they're probably the longest of long shots this weekend, not because they're not good. It's just that they're going to be playing the Bishop Miege team, whose only losses this year were to Aquinas and uh, 6A Blue Valley Northwest by seven. Other than that, they pretty much have smoked everybody, except for they did have an early uh, playoff game, 33-26 over Eudora. So that one was a little interesting. But um, other than that, they've really just put a hurting on a lot of good teams this year. On 95.9, we'll have the Class 3A matchup in Hutchison. 11-1 Holton, 12-0 Andale. Holton beat Topeka Hayden, 48-17 Andale. Shut out Clay Center, 36-0 Andale going for their fourth straight state championship and 51st straight victory. Um, as you alluded to, Mac, McPherson, you know, you, don't, you want to take advantage of your opportunities because they could dry up. I, I do not see things drying up in Andale anytime <laughs> soon. I, I didn't check. I know last year when they won the title, their JV team went undefeated. And I also believe their their eighth grade team last year went undefeated. So they got more coming up. Uh, Holton's a really good team. Andale wins this one comfortably. Yeah, I mean, Holton, uh, they throw two and a half passes per game, and they're, they're coached by uh, Brooks Barta, which, if the name sounds familiar, should be. Uh, his dad, Roger Barta, coached the Smith Center Dynasty for all those years. And it's the very same kind of offense, you know, where they just pound and pound and pound it. It just kind of – that's the kind of matchup that worries me, Scott, for Holton's perspective, because if they fall behind by two or three scores, it's lights out. There, there's no way they come back then. I think the only way Andy loses this game is if they, you know, fumble the ball six or seven times. And what's more, Scott, since beating Smoky Valley 57 to eight on September 23rd, they've allowed just 20 points. And it was, this, and it was to the same team in two games, Pratt. They have shut everybody else out. Yeah, they, that game. They've, they've shut out Wichita Collegiate. They've shut out Cheney. They've shut out Rock Creek and they've shut out play center. They haven't, they're just, they're not shutting out you know, mediocre teams, they're shutting out good offensive teams. 
and they hung 118 on Nickerson and all of that um, shellacking of these other teams as well. Uh, yeah, as good as their offense is, which they just continue to put up points, they don't have to throw – speaking of not having to throw the ball, um, Andale rarely throws the football as Holton does. and But their defense just – you know, you look at how fast, you know, Andale – you know, you figure one quarter, you might be able to hold them to 14, but there's pretty darn good chance they haven't allowed you to score anything. So just like you alluded to, Holton passes it two to three times a game. They get down 14 nothing in the first quarter. Uh, this could be a long day for Holton. It was a long day last year for Frontenac, uh, running clock in the fourth quarter. I'm not sure we're going to have anything like that this time. Uh, but I, I just don't like this matchup for Holton. I, I just I think if someone is ever going to beat uh, up uh, an Andale team of this caliber, it's going to, have to be someone that can that, that can really air it out. You know, they can throw the ball all, all over the field, and if they fall behind, you know, they can get it back quickly. I just don't see a team that rarely throws the ball being able to hang with Andale. Well, on 106.1, we'll have Class 2A from Salina. I get the privilege of this game. The undefeateds going at one another, 12-0 Nemaha Central, 12-0 Kingman. Nemaha Central took out Sabetha 30-14, and then a game you got to call – 28-22 double overtime. Kingman knocks out Southeast of Saline in an instant classic, actually, uh, with my game, Little River, ending early in Berlin game and starting early. I got to listen to most of your fourth quarter and the two overtimes. Um, wow, what a game that had to be. It, just, it sounded fantastic. And to hold Southeast of Saline who just has been scoring on everybody, nearly hung a 100 on Lions this year, to hold them to 14 points in regulation. That, that just tells you Kingman, Kingman is solid, not just solid, but they're fantastic in all three phases. Yeah, it's I don't have a, a weakness about Kingman. I've seen them now, what, four or five times, and I there's, there's no weakness there. There's just nothing. And uh, I, I, I actually want to go back to overtime quick, like Scott. I remember on the first play of overtime, Southeast of Selene scores. They go for two, and they get it. So now the absolute best-case scenario for, for uh, Kingman is overtime. They, they can't win the game in, in overtime, in the first overtime. And they are on, I think it was fourth and six, and Nolan Friend goes to his right, the quarterback. There's three Southeast Selene guys in his face. He just throws this. It wasn't. It was a design play, but he just throws this high arcing pass to the left side of the end zone that was complete. I think it was Tristan Davidson who caught it, and then they do a jet sweep on the two point conversion to to Avery Albright. Who what if he needed three yards? He got three yards in about five inches. <laughs> so I mean, he definitely got in, but boy, it was close. And then they get to the second overtime, and then on second, it was like second and goal from the six. And Southeast of Selene had a bad snap, and they go back to the 16-yard line. I knew right then and there, this game's over. King, Kingman's going to tee off on these next two plays, and Southeast Selene's not going to score, and Kingman is. And, uh, of course, it just took them two plays before a friend got in. It's, it, it's a great team. It's a community that has really not got to experience a lot of successful football, 50 years since their last appearance in a state championship game, actually. So their only appearance in a state championship game. And get a load of this, Scott. You know who Kingman played in that state championship game in 1972? They played Cape and Mountain Carmel. Okay. <laughs> Just wow. kind of a little anomaly there that Kingman was playing Cape and Mountain Carmel at one point, and now they're playing um, you know, a good Nemaha Central team. But, boy, it, it's been a lot of fun covering Kingman this last month. I've seen every game of theirs since the regular season finale. It's a legit team. It's a good team, and it's a, a team with literally no weakness. 
I'm excited to see them. Interesting fact, uh, I haven't got the study up on Nemaha Central yet. Got got stats from both coaches already today. This is Monday, so they were um, more than congenial with me to get me that information. But Nemaha Central, that's actually a, a combination of Nemaha Valley and this goes back to 2014. Baileyville B&B, those two combined. <laughs> and we know Baileyville B&B, an eight-man powerhouse combined with Nemaha Central, and now they're looking, I believe, for their second title as Nemaha Central. I believe they were the champions in 2019. I've got it written down somewhere. Um, this should be a fantastic game, but I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see this Kingman team play. Um, should be a fantastic game on Saturday afternoon. 98-9 in Class 1A, Inman makes a return trip to the championship game. They're 11 and 1. They're going to take on the St. Mary's Bears who are 10 and 2. St. Mary knocked off previously undefeated Centralia 46 to 16 and Inman this one had to feel good. They went to Conway Springs and avenged their only loss of the season, beat the Cardinals 23 to 6. This is almost the polar opposite Brad of Inman's run to the title game where they lost to Olpe last year, where they lost Kyler Conradi to a knee injury in the semifinals that you and I did against Sedgwick, a fantastic game. They lost him actually for all base or all of basketball season and baseball as well. Um, and they had a couple other players that one was out, another one could barely play in the state title game. They've got everybody back and healthy this year. It kind of feels like, a redemption story for Inman St. Mary, a little bit of the Cinderella. They knocked out another St. Mary team, St. Mary Colgan out of the playoffs. They've been playing some tremendous football should be a great game in Hayes. Yeah. I think it's kind of unfinished business for Inman after being so close last year and being so banged up and losing the old last year. Uh, they've been kind of you know, slowly building to this, you know, semifinal loss championship loss. And now they're playing again for the title. Uh, I, I just think Inman finishes the job this year. I do as well, but I think it'll be I think it'll be a really tight game again. That's on 98-9, class 1A out in Hayes. 96.7. This will be the three o'clock game in Newton. Eight-man division one title, eleven and one Little River, twelve and no Wichita County. Wichita County 76 to 30 over Hill City. And then a game I had last Friday. Wow, I still can't believe it. 48 to nothing. They run rule Burlingame with 8-17 left in the fourth quarter, Brad. And this thing could have been over early in the fourth quarter. Little River got down inside the 10 of Burlingame, up 42 to nothing, committed a couple of penalties, ended up turning the ball over on downs. But uh, you never would have guessed this, Brad, because Little River – Got the ball to start the ball game, a touchback. They fumbled the first play of the game from their own 15, recovered by Burlingame. He thought, okay, here we go. Uh, Colby Middleton, their quarterback for Burlingame, uh, strong kid, um, great thrower, great runner. And Little River turns them over on downs. They actually uh, sack Middleton on the fourth down play. He's down for a while. They kind of Look at his left leg, left ankle area. He comes back, plays the rest of the game. But from that point on, Little River, as the score indicated, it was absolute domination. Braxton Lafferty, I don't don't have my stats in front of me. He, 
I think it was 17 carries, 244 yards, five touchdowns. Um, he threw one touchdown pass. Another one, he had his receiver tackled on the one. And Little River turned Burling game over a couple of times, and I think five times on downs. Uh, as impressive as Little River's offense was to shut out Burling game on their home field, uh, man, it, w- it was a sight to behold. Little River and maybe played their best game of the season. Looking at the bracket right now, Little River's path to the championship game has been like a who's who of eight-man football. They beat Attica Argonia to start things out. They've, they've been a state power, won a, won a title not too long ago, I think. Then they beat Madison, another state power. Then they beat Chase County, who was undefeated, and maybe not the traditional power, but still they were very good this year at Chase County. Then they beat Burlingame, and now they're playing Wichita County. So Little River's path has just been kind of like a who's who of eight-man football. And uh, definitely that 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 win opened my eyes. I mean, we knew Little River was good, but gosh, to go to Burlingame and just and not just beat them, but to mercy rule them like that. I mean, that 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 that, that was eye opening to me, Scott. It really was. And when they got the ball back after that first turnover on downs, they fumbled it a couple more times. It's kind of like they they weren't quite ready for the cold or something. But once once they got that figured out, which it was quick, um, uh, they just. You know, Coach Ayers, he, he mixes things up. They ran a beautiful Lafferty's touchdown pass. He actually took the snap and the shotgun. He ran forward about two steps like a quarterback draw. Every, he sucked everybody in. He stepped back, and then off his back foot, he throws this lob pass right down the middle to Andrew Smith for the touchdown. I mean, who comes up with this stuff? But head coach Ayers, I mean, he just you never know what they're gonna do. They'll run power, eye formation, they they ran option pitch out on the edge, the quick hitter um for the fullback dive. Then they'll all of a sudden they'll they'll go three receivers and an empty set on you and, and throw the football or run the quarterback draw. It's just they are they have to be a nightmare to prepare for. Well, Wichita County I had to prepare for them a couple of years ago, and I think it was like 70 to 58 or something like that, and it was Kind of a weird game, Scott, because you, you you and I did that game, and once uh, Little River got like a two possession lead, it just seemed like Wichita County almost knew we can't come back and win this game. They're they're too good, and uh, I kind of sense it's going to be a similar kind of game in, in in terms of scoring. Anyway, I mean Wichita County can score with anybody in the state. Uh, they just pile up points after points after points, and I, I just uh, I, I see a similar kind of game to what we saw a couple of years ago. With, with that a brand new offensive line, and they do have uh, one of their offensive linemen is out, uh, Toby Jessup. Um, he he will be out for the championship game, but um, you, you you couldn't tell it against Burlingame. They actually were using another receiver, kind of as that third lineman, but you, you you just didn't know it. And I think similar to that game, Brad, two years ago, I think Little River is going to have to take some chances. You remember that game a couple years ago? They they had a surprise onside kick that they recovered. Um, they got a couple of um, long pass plays on fourth down that were completed, and they also got the one turnover that stole them a possession. I, I think they'll have to have something similar, but uh, that should be a dandy in Newton. The early game in Newton, the D2 title game, is 12-0 and Axtell, 11-1 and Thunder Ridge. Axtell, in an instant classic, defeated Canton Galva, 36-32. Thunder Ridge blew out Dighton, 58-12. No disrespect here in this comment to Thunder Ridge, Brad. I, I just feel like the state title game was Axel and Canton Galvin. And Thunder Ridge, go out and prove me wrong. I, I hope they do this Saturday. 
Yeah, it's uh, it Kent, Kent and Galva, you know, because we we just pay attention to them more. I mean, they're just on a different level for the most part. I mean, they beat Little River by thirty points this year, Scott. They they just annihilated Little River, and we knew that Axel was going to be good enough to beat them, and they did. So, I I can't. I'm trying to convince myself that it could be a game. I'm having a hard time doing it. Yeah, I, that's that's where I'm at. I, I just feel like. Um... I don't know. When I, when I saw they were on the same side of the bracket, I was really disappointed because I wanted to I wanted the Eagles and the Eagles in a title game. But again, Thunder Ridge, I, I'm sure nobody from Thunder Ridge listens to our podcast. But if, if, if it gets word back to you, go out and prove me wrong. And, and, and good luck to you. I hope you can give Axel a game. But I, I just feel like Axel um, and going to rack up another state title there. We will in. gladly eat crow. Oh, I'm, yeah, like I said, I, I get proved wrong every day. That's a, just a normal occurrence. <laughs> so uh, prove me wrong, Thunder Ridge. Uh, 100.3, our last broadcast game, is the inaugural six-man title game in Dodge City. 12-0 Cunningham, 10-1 Ashland. Cunningham 60-12 over Waverly. Ashland 78-34 over Shy Lynn. Um, actually, a rematch of week one, Cunningham won, I believe it was 38 to 30. Um, a lot of these kids have been in this program now three, four years. They're all juniors, seniors. It just feels like Cunningham is destined to grab this state title. Yeah, this is, uh, I've said it all year, this is kind of what uh, Cunningham brought back football for at the six-man level was, to, you know, to, to, to bring back the, com- the the pride in the community, whether that you get with Friday Night Lights, and this is uh, with their fourth year bringing back football from a co-op. Uh, this is what they get. They, they get a state championship game and a chance to be the first official six-man state champion in uh, Kansas history. Uh, won't be easy, though. Uh, like you said, Ashland gave them a good game this year, and I know that at, you, you know that uh, those teams that were playing each other in September, not, not even close to the teams that they are now. Yeah, have you, have you been able to see a six-man game yet, Brad? Sadly, I still have not. One of my students actually is from Ashland, uh, Austin Baker, and he, I know how excited he is for this, and I think he played a little six-man football as well. So uh, I, I tell you, he's uh, he's pretty excited. I, I've not seen it though, and I, I I'm looking forward to the day I can take it in a six man game. I encourage everybody that has and it's it to go out and see one. It's a it's a fun brand of football. So again, that that schedules up at adastraradio.com in the sports page for championship Saturday. There will be nine of those titles decided by the end of the day on Saturday. Well, Brad, let's go into the collegiate ranks for football. Let's go ahead and just rip the big Band-Aid or scab, whatever you want to call it off. We'll, we'll get started with uh, KU football, Brad. This uh, this is still giving me nightmares. It's got me back to the, to, the, to the Turner Gill and the Charlie Weiss days. The performance or lack thereof that KU put out on senior day against Texas, just getting absolutely blasted 55-14. to 14 by the Longhorns in a game that both you and I thought, both six and four teams at KU had a chance um, for a victory here, and it was anything but a chance. Texas runs for 427 yards. They they had one guy, Bijan Robinson, 243 on 25 carries, four touchdowns. Oh, and just by the way, they had another guy over 100, John Brooks at 108 on 11 carries, two touchdowns. Um, I don't know, Brad. It was, I, I watched the first quarter. I listened to as much as I could stand 
of the second quarter. And then, and then I was getting ready to do basketball. So I didn't see the second half, but it was, I know are their expectations. They raised them. Yes. If they were six and five at this point in the season, you would have told us that at the beginning of the year, we'd be doing cartwheels, but something about that loss just really disheartened me. Yeah, it, it definitely har- uh, harkened back to the uh, unglory days, I guess you could say. Uh, you know, they had a just a cut. You know, the first of all, the field goal kicking is a mess. I mean, that 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 it's just, it's just a mess right now. That guy, there's is there nobody better on the team who can kick field goals because the guy that they have is just an absolute mess right now. And uh, you know, they had the touchdown late in the, I think it was seventeen nothing, and Jared Casey caught a touchdown pass, and they called it back for legal man downfield, and the the rules expert essentially said that's not illegal man downfield. So, uh, so that was seven points that we got ripped off the board. I think uh, we had a fourth and short where we tried going for, it, got stuffed about the thirty yard line. So we we left some uh, opportunities to left some points out there. But on one hand, I was encouraged seeing Jalen Daniels back seventeen out of twenty six for hundred or two hundred thirty yards and an interception. But he only ran the ball twice. So part of me is thinking that he's not quite a hundred percent. If he's only running the ball twice out there, Devin Neal, 13 carries for 51 yards. Jason Bean played a little bit toward the end. So, you know, I, I know that Daniels wants to play, and I know that, you know, obviously at, you know, six wins, they're, they're, they're going to go to a bowl game. And I'm sure Jalen Daniels wants to play in that, and I, and I hope he's uh, I hope he's ready for that. Uh, but it, it just felt like that he just wasn't quite there. And, and understandably so. It's been a while since he had played. Let me pose this question to you, Brad, because I, I kind of chewed on this quite a while. When I when I was watching the game, certainly the first quarter, listened to it in the second, it was very apparent to me that the coaching I, – I got to think this was the coaching staff – put the handcuffs on Jalen Daniels. He was told, do not take hits, do not run the football. Now, on one hand, I understand that this is your this is your guy for the future. This is your guy – to try to win a bowl game at the end of the year. You don't want him to get injured. I don't play him, Brad. If 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 I can't have Jalen Daniels do what he does best, the first five games of the season were beautiful. Rolling him out, the RPOs, the weaving through the defense, getting those throws on the run. He was so good at you're taking half of his talent away from him by trying to make him something he's not a pure pocket passer i would rather seen vasco start this game or or put beam out there if if he was healthy enough to go then to put out jalen daniels and and not allow him to be jalen daniels again i understand not wanting to get hurt but it really frustrated me when it became very obvious they weren't going to let him do what he can do yeah yeah i i agree with everything you just said there scott it felt like that that they definitely didn't want him to take any risks or anything like that. And that's why I, I kind of thought that um, he just probably wasn't hundred percent yet, maybe 90%. And again, I get it. You know, you got K-State coming up this weekend and maybe Daniels is your best bet. And of course you want, you want Daniels to play in a bowl game. You don't want his first action to be uh, in the bowl game after not playing for, for two months or whatever. Uh, Vasco did take some reps with the ones last week, as, is what I heard. He even took some ones with him in, in, in uh, pregame. Kind of makes me wonder, was Bean even 100%? I, I don't think he was. Um, I don't think Daniels is at that point yet where he's 100%. Um, Vasco um, might have been your best bet. Uh, I guess the next thing, Brad, and it feels like a real oxymoron, the Kansas defense um, or lack thereof, 
uh, well, what, you talk about a mess. I know they've been beat up, but my goodness, Brad, they couldn't even slow down Texas. I hate to even think the way K State's offense is rolling right now. That that could be that could be really really ugly in Manhattan this weekend if that defense plays any anyway like they did against Texas against K State. This will be another five six touchdown game. Yeah, it could be. And uh, one uh, factor that could play a factor or one factor that could play a role in all this, Scott, is K-State could be playing for a spot in the Big 12 championship game. Yes, and uh, I I do wonder, you know, what that does to the dynamic of the game. You know, does this K-State, you know, start getting a little tight or does Kansas relish the, the role of being spoiler? I, I, I don't know, but I agree from a X's and O's perspective and from a talent perspective, uh, this seems like a game that K-State is just going to steamroll Kansas in. It, it does. And you mentioned uh, the Big 12 title game. TCU escapes Baylor on a field goal as time expired to stay undefeated. Brad, this has the, the BCS era written all over it to me where the, where the Big 12 is going to screw themselves out of the national title picture by having K-State beat TCU in the Big 12 title game. It just has, it just has that feel to me that, it, again, the Big 12 is going to have that team it's going to be able to play for the national title, and it's going to be taken away. <laughs> I, I hate I, they didn't need it. It's all about money. You already played everybody. That should be your champion. That should be the final game. I hate the Big 12 title game, and I think it's going to be bad for TCU in the Big 12 title game. Well, I've got a student, a former student who's a, bit, who's a TCU fan. He was texting me over the weekend. He said, he'll play Texas. He'll play Oklahoma. He'll play Oklahoma State. He'll, he, he wants anybody but K-State in the Big 12 championship game. Well, K-State and West Virginia, I thought I thought that was a basketball game when it was <laughs> – what the heck was the score at the end of the first quarter? It was like 35 to 27 or something at the end of the first quarter. It was ridiculous, uh, the offense that was going on. Um, and, that again, that's what scares me with the way KU's defense is playing and – um, not letting Jalen Daniels play um, the way that he's capable of. It, it could be a could be a long day in Manhattan. But again, as you mentioned, an awful lot on the line for the Cats. Well, let's stay with college football, Brad. Let's move into the JUCO ranks as they have announced the final four starting on December 3rd for JUCO playoffs. And this is going to be an interesting one, Brad, for the second time this year. The number one seeded, number one team in the nation, the Hutch Blue Dragons, are going to have to beat Coffeyville as they put them at number four on the other side of the bracket. Northwest Mississippi, the two, is going to host the team that Hutch beat to end the regular season. Number three, Iowa Western. So, again, tell, take us through the bracket and take us to the rematch here in a couple of weeks, Hutch and Coffeyville. Well, Hutch has actually played the last two games uh against coffeeville in coffeeville and they've just been weird games i mean just um you know last year i think hutch on the very first play from scrimmage gets a scoop and score for a touchdown other than that they got three points and they lose 17 to 10 they couldn't move the ball this past year or this this season uh they're down nine seven and really no indication that they're going to get anything going and then uh in the fourth quarter they they turned to dylan kedzier who had just missed some time with injury. He'd really been nothing more than a backup running back, and he just goes crazy in the fourth quarter. And uh, it started a run for Dylan Kezier where he actually became the conference offensive player of the year. 
despite uh, playing limited snaps in the first two games and then uh, missing the third game with an injury. So the fourth game when he came in against Coffeyville. So really, he missed essentially three and a half games this year as either a backup or, or with injury. And he just came in. They found something that worked, and uh, he's been their man ever since. And, you know, Coffeyville has – they got a great defense. they got great special teams, but their offense is below average. They, they've been just kind of a team that just they, – they get ahead. And then they just turn it over their defense and special teams. Let them do their do their magic. Um, I do like Hutch playing at home in this one. I do think that um, low scoring game, high scoring game. I don't think it matters. I think Hutch can play either way, and I do think that they win this one. And then uh, then it'll just be a matter of going down to Little Rock and either playing Northwest Mississippi or our Iowa Western again. What was the score of that first Hutch Coffeeville matchup? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. Let me bring it up here on my computer. I think it was 14-9. to nine. The 14-9 sticks in my mind. Let's see. I need to get teams. Here we go. And Coffeeville Hutch. And this game was way back in um, September 24th. And, yeah, it was 14-9. Uh, that, that Hutch won that game down in Coffeeville. And, uh, you know, each team had 14 first downs. Uh, Coffeyville had two quarterbacks. Neither one were very good. They combined uh, 10 for 27 throwing the ball that day. Uh, they, they ran the ball a, a little bit okay. But Dylan Kedzier, again, 85 yards rushing. And I don't think he touched the ball until late in the third quarter. So they found something that worked with him. And um, I, I, I like this matchup for the Blue Dragons. Maybe not from a perspective where they're going to go out and score 35-42 points. But I just think that with this game being – in in Hutch, I don't think they're going to make the mistakes that you know the Iowa Westerns and the Garden Cities have made these last couple weeks against Caulfield. Caulfield is definitely worthy of being there. They're definitely a top four team. Uh, I just think that this rematch, I think uh, almost in some ways, uh, Hutch is looking forward to it as much as as Coffeeville is. Again, that's going to be December third for the semifinals, and then uh, I think it's a Wednesday, December fourteenth, in Little Rock, Arkansas, for the uh, JUCO championship so if you're available on december 3rd go pack gallon stadium and try to root the blue dragons excuse me into the national title game well let's move into a college basketball brad let's uh start it was a it was a tough day for me saturday brad I'm, i'm listening to the ku debacle um watching it and listening to it on the radio over to uh sterling where it was sterling and Tabor opening up the uh, conference play for Sterling, Tabor had already played one game. Sterling had that odd. They get the bye on the opening week. And then both men and women fall to Tabor, 65-59 in the women's game, 64-61 in the men's game. The, the women's game, Brad, is, is just one of those head scratchers. Tabor comes in. They play, always seem to play really, really well in Sterling. They always are able to dictate the pace, the lower, the slower pace game that they're much better at. And they always play good defense and they find a way to always shoot the three ball well, which they did again, seven of 14 in this game. Sterling didn't have a three point basket until Callie Breyer ripped off three straight in the fourth quarter to briefly give Sterling the lead. But Tabor's defense, Coach Sean Reed, of course, him and both Coach Bassett were in the Lonnie Cruz coaching tree. He knows the Sterling offense very well. He makes things miserably difficult for Sterling to get good shots. And Tabor just shot the ball better. 
and just made a few more plays than Sterling could make. Corinne Clayson twists an ankle. Uh, we hope that's all it is. She was in a walking boot the entire second half, so you didn't have the depth. Um, it was a tough loss. Sterling still building their chemistry. I think the best thing is it's just game number one of a long conference season. They will definitely get better. They get York at home on Tuesday, and then the following Monday travel to Southwestern. Two of the teams picked towards the bottom of the conference, so you hope get Clayson healthy after those two games. She could be back, but it, it was a tough one to start off for the Lady Warriors for sure. Well, I see uh, Tegan Worth plays for Tabor. My daughter, Josie, actually played basketball with her for a couple of years way back in the day. Always thought she was a good kid, 15 points for Tegan. So, wow, that's a uh, good, good player right there. But, uh, man, I, I, I tell you, there's a few times uh, in the old days of JL Conference basketball, they do things a little bit different now, but when they – pretty much had a bona fide east-west, team, team, 10 teams on the east and nine teams in the west. The thing, with, uh, the thing with scheduling with nine teams on the west is what? No, you got to have a – everybody's on a bye every game. There's got to be yeah, playing. Everyone's got a bye because you got an odd number of teams, right? Now, sometimes teams would alleviate that with maybe a JV or something like that that you would sprinkle in there. But not, it wouldn't happen very often because you, you kind of want that bye for your team to, to kind of re, uh, refresh a little bit. I remember a couple times Hutch had the first bye coming out of conference play, and they hated it with every every fiber of their being. They did not like it, even even if they would schedule like a JV game. It's just it's not the same. It's not the same. You know, you're playing a team now that's got the conference game under their belt, and that, that that's just tough, man. Where you're playing your conference opener, and, and uh, you're playing a team that's already played a conference game, and it's their second game, and it's a good team. That's that's just a tough ordeal, man. Yeah, and, and you I'm not trying to make excuses here. I'm not. I, I just know. I, I just remember that's happened to Hutch a couple times back in the old, uh, some older days, and they hated it. Now Tabor, Tabor played the better game of the two teams, and Tegan Worth was fantastic. I mean, I think she hit three threes. She was, I think, three of. She was really good um, in that game, and again, they had a chance. Sterling was just down two under a minute. There was they, they forced up a errant shot. Uh, uh, a long shot caromed off. Tabor scrambled, got the ball. They end up scrambling again. And then one of their posts um, hits a desperation three with about 21 seconds left to put Tabor up five. It was just it was just one of those nights. It just was it was Tabor's night. But again, uh, Lady Warriors will look to get back on track at home against York. And then we went to the men's game, Brad. Um Sterling kind of weathered the early storm. Tabor hit their first five three-pointers of the game and Sterling got down, they got back and then all of a sudden they hit one of them stretches where they were down 11 at halftime, um, looking kind of dead in the water. And then they came alive in the second half. But um, as coach Stang and I talked about a little bit um, in the end, they had multiple opportunities um, late in the game to, to get the thing tied or grab the lead. And they had, you know, the, the amount of turnovers, I think they either had 14 or 15. That's not a horrible amount for a game. But when they happen and how they happen, um, we're just crushers down the stretch. And even down three, they had a chance to run down the floor, make one pass and get a three point off. They threw it between two two players who ran into each other and it went out of bounds. It was just it's a team that still is going to have to learn how to win and finish games. And it just wasn't. It's not quite there yet, and the, the trouble is 
Tabor was picked right below Sterling in the standings. Now, I think they're better than that, but um, that was certainly a winnable game on your home floor, and now you get a really athletic York team on Tuesday, and then that following Monday, Southwestern, probably one of the top two or three teams in the conference. It's not going to get any easier for the Warriors. Well, no, and then I look at their schedule here before the, the holidays, and they got four of their next six on the road, and two of those road games are against teams that are currently ranked, the aforementioned Southwestern and Kansas Wesleyan right before the holidays. So uh, it's – it's well, look, the grind of the KCAC, it, it's, it's never easy. It's not easy for anybody. Uh, I do think the encouraging thing, though, is that, uh, you know, they're 3-3 they're three and three right now. And like you said, they, they need to figure out how to win some games. It's something that they – just didn't do last year I and mean, they only won two games last year and it's not easy trying to change the culture and that's what Randy Singh's trying to do yes he wants to win games but more than that he's trying to change the culture and what they need to do is in, in some of these close games they're going to play in some close games this year uh it's it's the it's to win those close games yeah if they go out and win a game by 15 20 points hey great that, that's awesome but it, I think when you really start seeing a change in the culture is when they win a game like what they want, like they uh, win the kind of game that they lost on Saturday. Yeah, and I and you don't these don't come along very often, Brad. The five ten or five ten, the six ten center Elias Goga. He had fifteen points, eleven rebounds, and five block shots. He's just, I believe, listed as a sophomore. Uh, let me check. I got yeah, he's a sophomore right now. Um, this kid could be fantastic. He's already pretty good. He's still learning the collegiate game, but man, he, he he's going to be really good. And like I said, six ten in the KCAC, that's talented. He's got great touch. He's a good free throw shooter. Um, boy, that just doesn't come along very often. And he's going to be a valuable piece to this team. He pl- he played really well against Tabor. Yeah, uh, you know you, you can't teach six six ten, right? I mean, the, you know, no. the, and I know that Randy probably likes having some size in the post. Have a rim protector and all that, so yeah, definitely an ally there. So again, uh, it's ninety-five nine on Tuesday night, five forty pregame, six o'clock tip at the Gleason Center for the York Panthers for Warrior basketball. KU basketball, Brad, off to a four and zero start. A strange week last week. You and I both watched the Duke game where KU. Despite, I tell you what, they set both Duke and KU set back the three point shot about 20 years in that game. They were both miserable from the three point line. But I tell you what, in the end, I, I, Grady Dick, Brad, as a freshman, starting and playing the way he is already, he hit a monster three. He actually scored eight straight points for KU when that game was still tied or KU may have even been down at the time when he went off on a terror towards the end of that ball game and they beat Duke turn around and fall asleep against Southern Utah and escape them on Friday night 82 to 76 but uh, that Duke game that that was a fun one this this KU team now they'll actually get their head coach back for NC State this Wednesday but it was a strange week but still the Jayhawks came away with a couple of wins (laughs) word is is that uh, Bill Self was rubbing his hands together with glee after the Southern Utah game and had nothing to do with it, with it being uh, at the end of his suspension and everything to do with like, okay, now I get to really kind of mess with their heads a little bit after barely being Southern Utah. Uh, they're headed down to uh, Bahamas this week. And uh, I'll tell you what, tough tournament, Scott. They get in North 
State to start off, and then a possible semifinal game against Dayton. No. And we remember Dayton from last year uh, beating Kansas uh, on a buzzer beater. But uh, going back to Grady Dick, I mean, he is as good of a freshman as I can remember uh, Kansas having. I mean, at this point in the season, anyway, I mean, there's some freshmen who kind of developed a little bit, and there's always learning curve. Well, not freshmen, but I mean, Grady Dick looks like a season, uh, a, a, a season experienced kind of player already, doesn't he, Scott? Like I said, he doesn't look like a freshman. He doesn't carry himself like that. He wants the ball. He's looking to score. It's just things you don't see out of a freshman very often, especially at that level and at that program. And wow, um, to be starting and contributing the way he is is something special. Yeah, yeah. He's hitting big shots and. Uh, you, you you alluded to the I think it was the seven or eight points he had against Duke when the, I think Kansas is down by two, and then he hit a three pointer that put us up by one, and then he threw down an alley oop dunk, and then he made that just circus shot off the off the backboard on a on a the basket. So uh, he he's he's scoring big baskets. He's not afraid to shoot the ball, and he's really uh, he really looks like a special player. He does, and again, KU again in that tournament they'll play. NC State um, this Wednesday. Of course, all of KU's games can be listened to on 94.7. Well, um, one more news before we move on to the professional ranks, Brad. The story that continues to develop and develop pretty quickly um, is the potential of Gonzaga uh, becoming a member of the Big 12, that's a story that's developed here in the last couple of weeks. Um, of course, that would be uh, primarily for men's basketball. Um, what, what do you think about that possibility, Brad? That's just that was strange to see that, but apparently it's a it's a it's a stark reality and could become a reality. Well, ge- geography has gone out the window when it comes to conference play. We kind of think we understand that with UCLA and USC heading out to. Uh, to the Big Ten, so this this uh, doesn't really matter with the Gonzaga being in Spokane, Washington. So, you know, I think uh, something that Gonzaga has recognized is that they have to be a part if they want to maintain their their image and their brand as a as an elite basketball program. They have to join a major conference. I don't think there's any way around that. They don't want to be left out in all this shuffling of conferences and all that. So, uh, they got clobbered by Texas last weekend. So, I think that they recognize that the, the time has come for them to join a major conference. Now, is this going to help them or is it going to hurt them? I don't know. I think it, I think it will definitely help. From a pers- I mean, they definitely have never laughed for getting players up there uh, at Gonzaga, but I'm, I'll be kind of interested to see if they do join the Big 12, what this uh, you know means for, uh, you know, first of all, for them. And I, I, a part of me still thinks that there's, there's some more realignment coming up. And, you know, is this the Big 12 trying to, trying to get Gonzaga to save the basketball image in case Kansas leaves. I, I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. So uh, I, I still think we're going to see a lot more when it comes to realignment. And was your understanding that that would be for all sports for Gonzaga, that they would be a complete full member of the Big 12? That's an interesting question, Scott, because I don't think it would just be for men's basketball. It would, it would have to be for at least, at least men's and women's basketball. Uh, beyond that, I guess, do they feel like that they have the funding where they can make consistent trips to the Midwest and to West Virginia and places like that. Uh, uh, gosh, I mean, it, uh, who, who else is joining besides Houston? To the, is it Central Florida? Central was Cincinnati, Houston, Central Florida, and BYU. 
So, yeah, uh, I mean, C- Central Florida from Spokane, Washington, I mean, do, do they have the funding to make those trips for soccer, tennis, for volleyball, et cetera? I, I, I don't know. I guarantee that it would uh, – it's it's obviously mainly for basketball, and it would be for, at least for men's and women's basketball. I guess we'd have to see if it would be for everything else. I mean, I, I like the idea of Gonzaga competing – especially in men's basketball in the Big 12. I, I've been on record, and I'm still going to go on record. I hate the non-geographic conferences. Like you said, they join. They'd be going to Central Florida and West Virginia if it was all sports. And, and say that you know the soccer team's got to play a Tuesday night game against West Virginia on the road. I mean, that's it's just ridiculous to go cross-country for all of these sports. But um, I guess it's just the reality we live in. <laughs> Yeah, when when you got Washington, Washington State right there in your backyard, if you're Gonzaga. Uh, yeah, I yeah, it's just something that continues. But when the money, when the money is big enough, Brad, you know they'll move mountains to make stuff happen. So I'm sure that'll be a continuing story. Well, we move into the professional football ranks, Brad, and I'm sure you did as I did last night. Watched another instant classic between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Four now of their last five games have been one-score games, all won by the Chiefs. Actually, I think all five of their last games have been one-score games. The Chiefs win four of those games last night, 30-27, to and come from behind fashion. Uh, Mahomes to Kelsey for the winning score. And, you know, Brad, the, the first thing that I liked about this game was the very, very end of the ball game. When I saw 31 seconds, two timeouts, and knew that the Chargers were getting the football back, my mind immediately flashed to my closing thoughts that week of the Rams and the Buccaneers game, when the Rams just set back, played 10, 12 yards off the receivers, and just allowed the Buccaneers to win the game. The Chiefs did the opposite. Thank you, Steve Spagnola. They lined up that first play. In press coverage, now I know they had safety help behind it. It wasn't like they were zero blitzing and everybody was at the line. But what they do? They tried to quarterback draw. Herbert thought, oh, the middle of the field's empty, and Chris Jones was just holding up his man, made the tackle. The next play, Chris Jones, Frank Clark are in there getting pressure. They forced the pick. They finished the game instead of letting the Chargers have a chance to get down and get a game-tying field goal. That was the first thing that I really liked is the way that they were, uh, were aggressive and made sure that they were going to finish and win that game. First of all, uh, just incredible performance by Patrick Mahomes on that last drive. I mean, I heard that the Chargers fans, uh, all, all, all 15 of them that were at that game, uh, <laughs> and let, let's give on the game was in L.A., uh, that they were kind of split between two when they scored that late touchdown. First of all, they had the – all right, we're winning the game mentality. And then the rest were like, oh, gosh, we left Patrick Mahomes way too much time to win this game. So, uh, obviously, the latter were, were correct. So, uh, But, yeah, it was kind of uh, – it, it was refreshing that, you know, 31 seconds left, they got the ball at the 25-yard line. And, you know, you don't need – what, at, at, at most – 35 yards? 35 yards, although I was kind of secretly hoping that they would get in the field goal range and watch that guy finally miss a kick. But uh, that, that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, they don't need a ton of yards. Two timeouts for Justin Herbert in that offense. I mean, that's that's nothing. 
and uh, just two plays later is all it took. And uh, definitely, you know, it, 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 it's, it's still a work in progress, I think, for this Chiefs defense. It kind of reminds me a little bit of a couple of years ago when they won the Super Bowl, kind of almost a bend-but-don't-break mentality. And, uh, you know, let, let's, let's go back to late in the first half, Scott. You know, Kansas City was down, uh, what was it, 17-13 to 13 late in the first half, and the Chargers had the ball and driving deep in territory. They got the ball to start the third quarter. That game could have easily gone to 31 to 13 pretty quickly there. And when the Chiefs got the ball back to after the Chargers' first possession of the third quarter, it was just 20 to 13. Yeah. And remind me here, I'm having trouble uh, finding the box score here. Who was. Who was the player that uh, made that final interception for the Chiefs? I think it was Bolton. 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 And then you mentioned in the late um, second quarter makes the bonehead play uh, when Herbert's giving up himself, going out of bounds, short of the first down. I, I, I agree. Not a big shove, but you know, if you shove the quarterback when he's out of bounds, it's going to be 15 yards. I thought immediately like you did. Oh, good grief. It's going to be 24-13 at half. The Chargers get the ball to start the third. This could be 31-13. Now they do hold them to a field goal there, and then Bolton redeems himself later. But, Brad, that, that, was, just, that was just a dumb play that could have really backfired. Yeah, I was just – because you may not remember this, Scott. That would have been fourth down, too. Yes, that's what I mean. They had him stopped. Yep. <laughs> yep, and it was uh, – just uh, gosh, and special teams has just been a mess right now for this Chiefs team. I mean, luckily, Bucker had a big game yesterday. And of course, Townsend does what he does. But it seems like every game they got some kind of boneheaded special teams play, like they had yesterday, where they caught the the ball at the seven yard line and stepped out of bounds on the kickoff instead of putting one foot out of bounds and catching it. So then you get the ball at the thirty five yard line. But uh, yeah, you know the Chiefs are obviously right now they're playing well. A couple tough games coming up. Uh, but if they can, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what, what it's going to take to get home field advantage. Uh, they may have to go 14 and three to get home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs. I guess, uh, you know, everyone's going to start losing, especially the, the dolphins and the bills. They, they, they both play each other again. Uh, you know, the Patriots look really dangerous. They got to play the bills twice. Uh, you gotta keep your eye on, on the, on the Titans. You gotta keep your eye on the Bengals and the, and, and the Ravens, but, uh, the Chiefs are just playing really well right now, and I just, you know, frankly, I don't know how you can't say anyone's the MVP right now other than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he went 20 for 34, 329, three touchdowns, was under a lot of heat in the first half, was only 50% at one time, but, boy, when the chips were down, he he found Kelsey six times, 115, three touchdowns, and then they ran the ball. Isaiah Pacheco, 15 carries, 107 yards, Although it did feel like to me, Brad, at times, as even in the second half, that they forgot a little bit about Pacheco and the run game. You know, they get seven or eight yards on first down, and instead of running it again, they throw two incompletions and punt. It's like, come on, guys, this this Charger defense is terrible against the run, but that they actually are able to run the football. Uh, great sign. Uh, one of the things that was concerning out of the game is injuries. Um, we know Kadarius Tony. Um, they were already down two receivers in this game. They're obviously going to miss McCole Hardman for the next four weeks. He's on IR. Um, we don't know about um, Juju Smith-Schuster as far as the concussion protocol. Tony, that was the one knock when they signed him. I was a little nervous. They said he's, he's had trouble staying healthy, and here he is out. A um, couple of defensive backs um, left the game. Janarius uh, Sneed went out of the game, and I th- also um, helped me out, Brad. The other 
Thornhill. Thornhill also left the game. Um, so they're getting a little beat up. And again, I guess we're going to have to circle back to it. If, if you hear Kadarius, Tony, this, uh, I think his is a, either an ankle or a hamstring. If you hear not so great news about that, do you call OBJ? You may have to start making some calls. I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, you got a couple, you got a couple tough games coming up here. Uh, I know the Rams aren't as good as they have been, but uh, they're still the defending Super Bowl champions for a reason, right? I mean, so you really got to uh, maintain, uh, you got to respect that. And then, you know, got a couple tough games. I know the Broncos aren't any good, but they, they got a great defense. So you, you're going to have some weapons out there against them. I, I, I don't know. I think maybe try to get through one more week and see if maybe at least Juju can come back. Uh, I, I don't know, though. But I think you're getting to the point where you may have to make some kind of a signing like that. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm torn. I, OBJ's talent is um, undeniable, very talented. I'm just not sure as far as how he would fit into the mix. His personality, it's a big personality. Although, all the I think it was pretty positive with the Rams. Obviously, won a Super Bowl, contributed to that. I mean, I know it'd be a rent a player, but um, like the window, like you said, is only open for so long to make runs at championships. So the Chiefs, again, they may have to um, consider something if the injuries continue to mount. As you mentioned, they host the Rams. I believe that's in the uh, late slot on Sunday. The Rams will be with Cooper Cup is out for quite a while for the Rams. They are really struggling, so the Chiefs need to hold home field and try to keep home field advantage, which right now they are a game ahead of the Bills. Well, that is our uh, regular segment, Brad, and we'll move on to your final thoughts. Well, obviously, Scott, you know I'm a big soccer guy, and, um, you know, I've been watching the first couple days of the World Cup here, and, um, you know, I I, I love the sporting part of it all. You know, I love watching these different countries compete and all that, but is it wrong of me to laugh my ass off when Qatar lost yesterday 2-0 in the first game? (laughs) <laughs> I, don't um, give, I don't give a crap about ecuador any more than i care about most of these teams in this world cup i was laughing when 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 ecuador was winning that game is, is that wrong i i i find nothing wrong with it okay because it's it's obviously it should not be in qatar i mean they they've got all this money they they bought themselves a world cup it's 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 not a secret that there's a lot of corruption that was going on it just makes I, I don't know. I mean, there's so much great that can go on with sports, but uh, you know, part of it is corruption, like what we see with the IOC, incompetence with the NFL and the NCAA sometimes. But how they ended up in, in the middle of the desert, you know, to have a World Cup in a country the size of Connecticut, is, is just beyond me. I mean, there's all kinds of trouble going on with uh, fans not being able to get into fan fests. I guess there's a big concert out there Sunday night. And a lot of fans couldn't get in because was, there's too many people there. And of course, they're not selling beer at the stadiums. I told you this, I think already that um, that that Budweiser's taking their entire World Cup um, inventory and they're going to give it to the country that wins the World Cup. I mean, what what a great party that'll be! Uh, I it's just it just boggles my mind. Just some and, and I told you the story also. I don't know if I, actually I don't know if I told you this or not. A, an American journalist, Grant Wall was actually detained for almost 30 minutes today when he tried to wear a uh, pro-LGBTQ rainbow-colored shirt inside the stadium for the USA-Wales game. 
Uh, ultimately, I think they just told him, can he change it? And I, I don't know if he did or not, but it's like, I mean, let's just enjoy the, 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 the tournament, man. I mean, I, I, we're at the point where I just, I, I want to enjoy the tournament, but you know, there's just so much crap that's happened with this whole Qatar and, and the slave labor that they've had and people dying. It's just like, you know, I just want them to go. Oh, and three, let's just get through this damn world cup and just, I don't know. I, I just, I'm just going to laugh every time, you know, Qatar still has to play the Netherlands and it, you know, it's kind of, I know, I don't know what the right word is, but it's like when Missouri loses, I laugh. Well, I'm going to be laughing when Qatar loses their next two games too. Well, I think I also saw where you alluded to the, uh, the, the Jersey or whatever he was wanting to wear. They've also banned the armbands that were also of a similar nature, um, rainbow or whatever it was. I saw that the, I don't know, whatever the governing body was, they banned those from being worn during the World Cup as well. Yeah, and it wasn't just, uh, they, they said that they were going to give them a yellow card if they did. Uh, the, the Netherlands captain, Virgil van Dijk, actually was going to. Uh, he was essentially going to take that chance, and they, I guess the, the, the Dutch FA essentially pleaded with them, you know, we don't need our captain to be on a yellow card one second into the game, especially when you play a position that's notorious for getting cards. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's just unfortunate. Um, you know, I, 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 we knew that this was going to be kind of a, I don't know what the right word is, a scandalous tournament already. Uh, it's not getting, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. I just hope that the, the quality of play can drown some of that out. Uh, the Argentina plays Tuesday morning at 4 a.m. I'm debating still if I'm going to get up for that or not. Brazil still has to play. The French still get to play. So I'm hoping that some of the quality soccer that we can watch in this tournament can drown some of this out. Yeah, it's a it's such a anticipated worldwide event that um, I know it's the day and age we live in. But the, if we could leave the political BS behind for um, a couple of weeks, it would cer- certainly be a welcomed sight. Well, I'm going to go back, Brad, to the, the NFL. And I'm going to start off with a question, Brad. Does the NFL have fantastic and, and up to date and the latest technology at their at their beck and call during these games? I mean, you would think so. Okay, well, I was watching the Dallas Vikings game, and everybody knows I'm a big Dallas fan. Don't talk about them a lot because I always know Jerry's going to screw it up somehow towards the end of the year, but that's that's an, another discussion. We don't, we don't have two more hours um, to talk about Jerry Jones. But I'm watching the Cowboys game yesterday, Brad, and they're up playing really well. At, uh, Minnesota's only lost once. You know, Dallas blew that. 14-point lead on the road to Green Bay last week. They were really focused. They get the ball back with 20-some seconds, a couple of timeouts before the end of the half. Well, they get aggressive. They happen to get a pass down into long field goal range for uh, Maher. It's about a 60-yarder, and crazy enough in his career, he's something like four for four from 60-plus yards. So they get down there, and they're sending the field goal team on. But the pass that was caught, there was some initially it looked like, well, they might want to look at that. Well, there's no buzz down. There's no nothing. Well, Dallas decides to go ahead and take a timeout. We got one. There's only five seconds. Let's not rush this thing. So there's been the completion time. They run the clock. The play clock goes down. Dallas uses a timeout. They come back on. They snap it. Maher hits the field goal. Teams are starting to go to the locker room, and the officials are waving everything. They get the teams back. Oh, no, they, they buzzed down. We need to review this right before you kicked it. And I'm sitting there. I'm about to go ballistic. I'm like, what 
what were you doing for the last minute and a half? If if what 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 changed between the time he caught it, Dallas went down, ran the play clock down, used a timeout, kicked the field goal, and oh, oh no, we buzzed down right before you kicked it. We need to review it. I what what, what are we looking at? What what are we doing up there? Did did we go to the restroom? Is there one person in charge of this? And he 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 took a bathroom break and got back just in time to take a field goal away from Dallas. Now it worked out. Maher hits it again after they review and say yes, it is a catch. But but Brad, what what are they doing? They had an extra timeout that Dallas used. They could have buzz down at any time but they do it right when dallas snaps the ball what's going on yeah i did see some of that because um i i was just uh i i, I was just watching the cowboys game and i saw that and i was just i was, I was kind of only half paying attention but i was just thinking i kind of cocked my head said what what's what's going on here you know i couldn't figure it out for the life of me um and yeah you talk about technology scott did you see what happened in the nuggets mavericks game I did not. Okay, so late second quarter, okay, the Mavericks hit uh, like a buzzer beater before before halftime to send the game into halftime. You know, it's, it's just a regular buzzer beater. I mean, it wasn't like a full court shot or anything like that. It was over by the sideline, and the, and the Mavericks hit a three-pointer, so both teams run off the floor at halftime. Well, the referees, I guess, were told about halfway through the quarter, hey, you guys need to go watch that now. So they went back and reviewed it and determined that the guy who hit the shot for the Mavericks had stepped out of bounds right before he shot it. So, so, so are you ready for this? They finished halftime like normal, put two seconds on the clock to finish the second quarter, and then they were going to go straight into the third quarter, and the guy for the Nuggets hit a half-court shot since they got the ball because the guy for the Mavericks stepped out of bounds. I mean, they did no one notice this or something when the guy from the Mavericks stepped out of bounds? Okay, I get how something like that happens. Okay, they, they, they just miss it like the, the very edge of his heels out. I get how that can happen. But no one thought to say, hey, he was really close. We may want to take a look at this before we send the teams to the locker room. Well, that's what I'm like. They had extra time because Dallas used a timeout. I mean, they had – more than adequate time. If there's any question at all, aren't you? I know they're looking at all of these plays. Don't you know within 10, 15, 20 seconds, hey, stop play. We need to look at this. But I, I, I have no idea because I just, and, and to his credit, Maher bangs. He makes the second one even purer than the first one. He bangs it through. But take the worst case scenario, Brad. Say this is a say this is a 10-3 game at the time, and Dallas gets that field goal taken away. Maher misses the second one, and Dallas loses by three points. You know, Don't you know they're going ballistic the next day? Now they just hammered the Vikings 40-3, but I, I, I just don't understand that when you have all that at your hands that you can still – how are they still misusing this? I, I don't know if it's just incompetence or, or what it is. I mean – it's it's mind-boggling that you know we have all this great technology to try to rectify these kind of situations and we just can't and sometimes it just seems like we make it worse yeah i mean and and you see it all over i remember i'm not going to remember the the young lady great american 
um, professional golfer. I just can't come up with her name in, uh, I think it was the, was it the U S open? It was one of the women's majors a few years ago and Lexi Thompson, that's who it was. There was, she was in the final round of the major. She had a three shot lead at this time. She's on the back nine. I think she's on hold number 14 and they stop her because somebody had that watched the telecast of the third round had emailed, texted, whatever sent in. Oh, I think she mismarked her ball on such and such a hole when she when she marked it back and finished out and put it out and they go out and tell her on the 14th hole up three that oh you're not up three anymore you're down one because we're assessing you a two-shot penalty for mismarking your ball and a two-shot penalty for signing an incorrect scorecard this is on the back nine the next day of the final round i mean shouldn't that be once, fine, once that round starts, your score from the, the previous day, that sh- shouldn't that be final? Shouldn't that be finished? Okay, that round's done. Something like that. Shouldn't that have been assessed if it's going to be assessed before she started? Because I guarantee you, if you're in a major on the back nine, up three and down one, you're playing those last five holes completely different, protecting a three-shot lead as being aggressive to overcome a one-shot deficit. Yeah, that's I, I remember that happened. That's just just ridiculous. I mean, some of these rules in some of these sports like golf. I mean, I, look, <laughs> that's a longer story for a long, long longer day. But yeah, the the technology is there, but it shouldn't be. You know, look if 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 you and I were allowed to call in stuff, that we could like, hey, Mister NFL, that, that that face mask call you just missed there. We need to bring that back. Uh, you know, ten plays ago, Mister Howier, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I. I... <laughs> I just say yeah, I I lose my mind when we have the latest technology and it gets misused or not used at all when it needs to be. Um, but fortunately for the Cowboys, it all worked out. For Lexi Thompson, uh, by the way, it did not. She I believe she lost in a playoff that year. But again, uh, if you want to look at the entire week's schedule. And Championship Saturday, you can go to adastroradio.com in the sports page. It's all up there. We'll have broadcast of five different state championship games on Saturday, plus Warrior Basketball on Tuesday night. But for tonight's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.